train them how to be preachers. Like they tell you how to make people like, like say things and not let people know that you're saying those things. It's insane. So, uh, so they give us these little tools of, of persuasion. Of, of getting people to kind of see your point of view. And so with these tools, I could, I could really get some people to go al- along with my, my personal preference. And this is a fun thing to watch as, as preachers do this. And as you become more and more watchful and more and more aware, you can kind of see these things happening. Uh, so, so now here's the thing. Here's the reality. I could come right out and just state what my preference is, but the reality is, if I did that, if I just told you, like, here's the thing, like, I could actually kind of make some of you mad, probably, if I did that, so I have to be really, really careful, and I kind of have to hide it, so, uh, so I wouldn't maybe win so many people to my point of view, so I want to start, start with a preference, I'll start, I'll give you an example, so you can see how this works, um, this, this preference of mine also happens to be objectively true, I want you to know on the front end, uh, Apple phones, Apple phones are superior to Android. <laughs> Apple phones are superior to Android. So, so as you can tell, there are people in this room who already disagree with me. And then there are probably people in this room who actually agree with me, right, Jay? Yeah, you got it? Okay, good. Yeah, very good. I got a few people in this Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so... So I could like, I could, at this point, I could pull out data. I could, I could start explaining to you all the reasons why Apple phones are superior, but it doesn't really matter because the point is because I stated uh, my, my preference on the front end, I've already kind of made my enemies. So now at this point, since I stated that, like, uh, it doesn't matter what I say the rest of the sermon because those people who I frustrated, they just kind of have turned their ears off to me because I, I, have, I have just said that thing that is so offensive that I can't pull them along with me. So instead, so that's like, that's one strategy. I could state it on the front end. The other thing that I could do is I could tell you a story. I could tell you a story. So uh, I call this story The Woman Who Wanted a Simple Life. This is the story is The Woman Who Wanted a Simple Life. Okay. There was a woman, and believe it or not, she wanted a simple life. That's, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. So, so uh, this is the deal. Her friends and neighbors, they were always really, really busy. And uh, she saw all the time on their faces, she saw their stress on their faces, in their bodies, continuously, in the words that they said. She, she saw that they were constantly stressed. And so uh, she, she wanted a simple life. The world that she lived in was actually constantly full of choices and decisions to make. And and on a moment-by-moment basis, there were always more and more decisions that had to be made. And what she wanted was simple. So when she was faced with the decision between uh, a big house or a small apartment, she chose simple. When she was faced with the decision whether to, to keep something or to throw it away... She chose simple. So one day, uh, one day she had to select a phone. And uh, she had a choice between two kinds of phones. Uh, one phone would 
uh, have multiple different brands and options available to you. And some of those choices would actually be better than, than other choices. Uh, this kind of phone, it was customizable with many different, uh, different ways that the phone could be set up and arranged. Uh, and this, this kind of phone had multiple solution centers all over the place. You could find different people with different degrees of expertise to kind of help you out with this sort of phone. And uh, this, this phone was really, it was one device and a slew of the multiple other devices that, that people could have. Okay, so that's, that's one kind of phone. The other kind of phone would uh, always have the latest software updates, always be available in one consistent brand, always integrate and cooperate well with her other devices. It was like they all had one mind and they all worked together. Uh, they, they, they would have one go-to solution center that had all of the answers all the time. You would, might even call it a store. Uh, they would have a standard set of apps across every phone that all worked really, really well. And they would operate, all of these phones would operate pretty much the base, same basic way in each circumstance. So... <laughs> so what, what kind of phone, what kind of phone do you think she chose? The first kind or the second kind? <laughs> so, so, uh, so what I did, I told a story, and here's the reality. My story, you already know this, my story proved to you nothing. I had no ounce of data in my story at all, but that was not the point of my story, right? There was, there was a different point to my story. What I did is uh, I, I, maybe in telling my story, I revealed to you some of your own personal desires. So maybe actually what you really want is simple. And so in, in the telling of this story, you went, yeah, I like, I like that idea of simplicity. Or maybe what you want is you actually like to have kind of the control of all of your apps and the way things look, and you like to be able to pick your brand and that sort of thing. Okay, so, so it revealed personal desires. The other thing that I did is I helped you empathize with a character. Uh, the woman in the story, she wanted a simple life. And I told aspects of her life that made you go, yeah, I can see that and I understand that. Even though I'm, I may not feel like I need a simple life right now, I can see and understand her need for a simple life. The other thing I did is I pulled you into a world. Uh, a world where you were kind of immersed uh, with, uh, it's kind of a similar world to, the, to what we live in right now, right? This is, uh, and that's kind of why we could empathize so well, but, but as I pulled you into that world, you kind of understood, and you maybe even began to go, you know, I want a simple life. I, that's kind of something that I want. And so as I pulled you into that, uh, one thing that I did not explain with clarity is actually what the right choice is. I did not say at any point in the story, this is the right choice, but rather my goal was to reveal something to you rather than to explain it. So, uh, so you might have even asked yourself the question, and, and kind of the goal of the story was to ask yourself the question, do I desire a simple life? Now, uh, now if you're a discerning listener, uh, at this, this particular story, you, you understand that it is completely bogus for a couple of reasons. First of all, I shaped the details of the story in such a way that favored my perspective. So that's, that's a beneficial part for me. That's how I could maybe kind of get you uh, to my side. But the, then the other side of this is, you, some of you are going, if this woman really wants a simple life, what in the world is she doing getting one of these things? Because they do not make your life more simple. 
right? Okay, so you understand, you understand, and you would not be wrong about that perspective, but the point of the story is to help us understand something, and, and uh, this, is, this is important. We say, we tend to say, and we tend to operate on lines of, uh, tell me your point and give me the facts that support it. So like when we're listening to people explain something to us, when we're hearing teaching, what we want is somebody just give me the point and explain the facts that support it. Uh, but, but the reason I said you have to watch out for preachers is because they might just be so sneaky as to tell you a story to get you to believe something as opposed to give you a point and the facts that support it. And Jesus actually does this a lot. This is Jesus, one of Jesus' main modes of teaching. He, you, you rarely see him just lay out facts for people. Instead, you see him give illustrations. You see him tell stories. You see him kind of give these examples that people might uh, be pulled into his world. And so, uh, so he, he uses this concept of story often. And what we're going to see this morning is that the ways that he use it, uses it might be a little unexpected, but nonetheless, he still uses this strategy. So, uh, so this summer, we're actually diving into the parables. We're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus, these stories that he tells, uh, these illustrations that he gives. And I want to talk about uh, why Jesus even uses parables. You see, Jesus, he was a master teacher. He was really, really good at teaching. In fact, the title that his disciples primarily gave to him before they gave him any other title like Messiah or Lord or King, they called him Rabbi. They called him Teacher. And so this, this is obviously like one of the characteristics that really signifies who Jesus is. And so, so Jesus, he, he deeply understood who his audience was. He deeply understood the people that he was trying to teach, their circumstances, the kind of things that they were going through. In fact, uh, because he is Lord of all creation, he actually happened to even discern people's hearts as he was speaking to them so that he could understand the very things that were going inside in the depths of people's minds and hearts as he was teaching. And one of his primary modes of teaching was parables. So parables are stories, analogies, and illustrations that are meant to drive home a particular point. Uh, 35% of all of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, Mark, and Luke was done in the form of parables, which means that it's significant. This is one-third of all of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we have to look at this and why he chose to use this form and what he was accomplishing with it. So part of the reason he did this is that the first century world was a very oral society, which means that they, they communicated a lot of their information, not in the form of books and facts, but through stories. That was the way that they got to know their sort of national identities, their ethnic identities, their religious identities. It was all in the form of story, which is why you look in the Old Testament even, and one of the most formative stories that the people of Israel were told told over and over and over again was the story of the Exodus. That, That was a formative story for them that they kept going through over and over again because it reminded them, hey, you used to be a people who were in slavery, but then God set you free, and now you are God's special people, right? That was a very formative story that they were told. Uh, And this is illustrated in the fact that we can see this even in how kids operate. Like, so kids can remember facts pretty well. Um, They have, they have an ability to, to pay attention to things pretty well, but 
something that is actually, that teaches them like moral lessons, that helps them actually grow into people, one of the most effective tools for that is stories. Uh, and so I, I had this principle, like somebody could have told me this fact, you should not make up bad things that have happened. Somebody, somebody could have told me that principle. But instead, what my dad told me was the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? So he told me this story about this boy who, who uh, the, he, he was out and he was looking at the sheeps, uh, the sheeps, the sheep. Uh, he, was, he was observing the, the pasture and uh, he, he said he didn't see a wolf, but he cried out, there's a wolf. And of course, all the village, the people in the village, they came and they, they didn't see the wolf. And then he did it again. So he looks out and there's no wolf. And then uh, he, he cries out. He says, there's a wolf. And then, and then so then he, he, people of the village come and they said, there's no wolf here. And so, uh, so then finally, a wolf one day shows up and, and he cries out, there's a wolf, but nobody comes and the boy dies. Like that was the story that I was told. That was a mortifying story for me. It was very formative for me as I was a little child. I would not make up bad things because I could potentially die if I did so, right? So this is, this is how story works for kids. So, so uh, the first century world was, it was an oral society. They communicated things through story. The first century world was also an agrarian society, which means they, they were very agricultural, which meant that a lot of people, so today we all have sort of different professional backgrounds, different areas that we're from, but back in the first century world, people generally had a number of common experiences in their professions and kind of their ways of operating in the social world and all of that stuff. And so, so what Jesus did is he tapped into that common experience that people had. He, he looked at the things that they were used to and he used their experiences to create stories. Uh, he used it to captivate people kind of into a different world. And Jesus understood his culture so well that the kinds of things that he would talk about would always relate to his audience. But but in his stories, he used something uh, universally in all of his stories, incorporated something that I call the principle of disequilibration. The principle of disequilibration. And this is what the principle of disequilibration is. It is unexpected or shocking details that disturb the listener's existing way of thinking. Unexpected or shocking details that disturb the listener's existing way of thinking. And this doesn't just happen in his parables, by the way. It happens uh, in all of his teaching. He's constantly throwing people off balance. He's constantly disequilibrating people. Uh, So uh, he says things like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the people who weep. Like those are things that when people heard them, people would have gone, what are you talking about? Those people aren't blessed. How could you possibly say that? But his goal was to throw people off balance. So here's the reality. Some of Jesus' parables, some of Jesus' teaching, they rocked people's world so hard that at the end, they would actually be more confused about whatever it was that Jesus was talking about than at the beginning. Like, it was so, it so threw them off of their understanding that they had no, no means by which to process it and that uh, they, they just became more confused at the end. And, and that's interesting, because when I come to Jesus, I kind of always expect Jesus to make things plain and clear to me, right? Because he's merciful, because he wants those kind of things for all people. 
But we apparently see something about Jesus that he doesn't always do that in every circumstance. And apparently this was an expectation, by the way, that the disciples had too. So the disciples, when they came to Jesus, they, they expected him to kind of always make things clear to people. So that gets us to our scene, uh, the, the passage that we're in. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus explains to us his whole purpose of why he even teaches in parables. Verse 10 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So I want to set the stage. Uh, There are Really, imagine there are three characters in this story. There's Jesus, there are the crowds of people that Jesus is teaching, and then there are the disciples. And, and what is happening is that Jesus goes out to teach the crowds of people, and the disciples begin to notice, he's like, they're, they're like, hey Jesus, hey Jesus, these people really aren't getting the things that you're saying. Like, I don't know if you know this, but the stories that you're telling, they're not particularly clear or helpful. They're not like helping people to see exactly what's happening. And so, uh, so the disciples, they notice something about how Jesus is teaching the crowds. And apparently, uh, in connection to Jesus' parables, there is something here revolving around the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus said, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So, so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, the things that I'm, try- that I'm talking about to them, these are, are things that you're already aware of. These are things that you're actually becoming increasingly more aware of. But here's the reality. God has not chosen to reveal these things to those people. So the parables have something to do with the kingdom of heaven. The parables have something to do with digging into the kingdom of heaven. And before we get too far into this particular passage, I think we have to ask the question, because this is going to be really, really important as we move forward into this series on the parables. We're really going to have to understand what is Jesus talking about when he is talking about the kingdom. When he says things about the kingdom, what exactly is he talking about? So uh, the first thing that he is talking about is this. He's talking about something that was inaugurated at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Something that was inaugurated at the beginning of his, his earthly ministry, which means as soon as Jesus started his ministry, as soon as he started, he viewed the beginning of that ministry as, as an initiation of the kingdom coming to earth. So uh, Luke four eighteen and 19, Jesus goes into the temple. He, this is at the very, very beginning of his ministry. He goes into the temple. Uh, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he pulls to this, this passage, and this is what he says. He's saying this about himself. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when Jesus, Jesus comes and he's starting his ministry, this is the very first thing that he does, and he makes very clear what he has come to do. Now, in the Jewish framework, Jewish people, when they hear Jesus read these words, what they hear is that this is the initiation 
of the kingdom, the kingdom that they've been waiting for. Uh, Because the arrival of God's kingdom happens in connection to all of these things. So, good news for the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, setting free those who are oppressed. All of this stuff happens in connection to the beginning of God's kingdom. And so Jesus did all of these things, actually. He, He healed people. He proclaimed good news to the poor. He uh, brought liberty to the captives. He, he helped blind people recover their sight. So whatever the kingdom is, it is something in connection to Jesus' arrival. Jesus' arrival actually has something to do with the arrival of the kingdom. Okay, the second aspect of the kingdom. It's a reconciling of the world under God's rule. So uh, the, in the Jewish mind, the, the Jewish person would have thought, hey, pagan nations, they have power in the world right now. They have control of the world right now. But one day, God's rule is going to be restored over all nations through the people of Israel. So through the Israelites, God is in some way going to come uh, to, to rule over the whole earth. Which means, if that's actually the case, that, that means that God's desires are going to reign supreme. That, that his desires for peace and righteousness and justice and joy and unity, that these things are going to exemplify the entire world when he sets up his kingdom. So that's what the Jewish person understands. Uh, this is, also we have at the core of this, the undoing of everything that is wrong in the world. So when God sets up his kingdom, he actually undoes everything that is wrong in the world uh, through judgment of sin, through judgment of his enemies. And this will take place. And and by so doing, he eliminates sin from the world. So this is what the Jewish person understands. God was going to do this sort of thing in the world. And then the third thing that the kingdom is, the third aspect of the kingdom, is a people who are submitted to their good, righteous and merciful ruler. So when Jesus came to proclaim the good news about the kingdom, he did so inviting people towards the king. He invited people to submit to to God. He did so uh, by displaying the benefits of the kingdom. So, So the king, the ruler, actually, he's a merciful king. He cares for his people. He wants to see a good flourish inside of his people. Like these are the things that he wants. He protects his people. He explains how, how subjects of, of the kingdom they're supposed to live. Uh, the kind of characteristics that they might have. Uh, how the kingdom actually works itself out through their righteous actions. How the kingdom can be proclaimed through, for, through their words. That uh, it can actually, they can proclaim good news and invite people to be a part of it. And so these three characteristics, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom, these are the things that he was talking about. And essentially, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, God is granting you understanding about this kingdom. God is granting you this understanding. But here's the reality. He's not granting it to them. He's some, for some reason, he's choosing not to grant it to them. And so, so Jesus explains the reasoning for this. In verse 12, he goes on. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have 
in abundance. So can we stop right there for a second? Because um, we could get in, and there's a lot for us to get into as a, in terms of how Jesus actually says words that are really confusing for people who weren't, won't hear, and we're going to dig into that. But I want to look at this for just a second. To the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. So, so what that means is that uh, there, like, there are actually benefits of, available to people who, who understand what the kingdom is, who understand who the king is, who have faith in Jesus. And not only that, but like, we get the promise that we don't only have an initial understanding, but there's actually a promise that God will consistently reveal more and more and more to us about what the kingdom is. And this is like why when we come to scripture and we deal with just one verse, like and we get something special out of that one time we deal with that one verse. And then a year later, we, we might come back to that verse and we read it again. And God shows us something that we didn't see there before. You know, like we keep coming back to God's word and that's what this promise is. This promise is that, hey, the longer that you know God, the longer that you walk in his kingdom and the longer that you understand the secrets of the kingdom, he keeps revealing things to you about the kingdom. He keeps granting to you more and more and more and this is such a special blessing for us. Such a cool thing that we get to experience. So, so he, he sets up for us uh, these two people these two groups of people, the people who have, the people who have understanding, and the people who don't. Uh, and these people who don't have, they're people whose hearts are darkened, people who don't understand. Now, I, 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 there are a few questions that we have to kind of get out of the way just to understand a little more. So, so is it that they don't understand because they have less intellectual capacity? That's not at all. That's, it has nothing to do with that, in fact. And because we see, we see like in other places in Scripture, God actually, praise the Lord, uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So it's not, it's not an issue of intellectual capacity. Is it because they are of some different social status? Well, no, that can't be it either because Jesus actually drew people from all over the social sphere. Right? So this is, this is nothing to do uh, with, with any ability that they have. It, it actually it doesn't even have anything to do with their kind of ascribed level of righteousness, right? Because the Pharisees were like the most righteous that you could be, and a lot of them did not understand. So I think, I think Jesus' explanation in verse 13 gives us the best insight. He says, in seeing, they do not see. And in hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the implication is, there is something that is plainly in front of them. There is something that is, is perfectly crystallized, that, that it is there clearly, but for some reason, they can't see it. Even when it's plain, even when it's obvious, there's no question. They won't even accept the thing that is plainly in front of them. And so I think of this like as scales over the eyes, right? And we see this kind of thing with the Apostle Paul. Like Jesus all of a sudden shows up to him one day and the scales, he says, the scales fell off my eyes and I finally understood. I finally saw what he was talking about. This is why we sing in the song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. Right? This is why we sing this sort of thing because, because for some reason, it was always plain and clear in front of us. But now we're able to see. So Jesus essentially says, he says, listen, I speak to them in parables because even if I told them 
plainly and with clarity what was true, they would reject it. They wouldn't see it. They wouldn't repent. And so Jesus says in verse 14, he says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. So I want to, um, he's, what he's referencing is Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, um, the prophet Isaiah, uh, he has this vision of the Lord. It's like he's caught up into heaven, and this is what he says. He says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were angels, and they had six wings. And with two of those wings, they covered their faces. With two of those wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they were flying around the throne of God and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They were saying, holy is the Lord who who commands the angels. Like this, this vision that Isaiah has, he sees God in his full glory there in front of his face. And in that circumstance, Isaiah, he's broken for himself. He, he says the words, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Like when he encounters God in his full glory, he is broken. And here's the crazy thing. So then an angel, he comes and he brings a burning coal and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. And what that, bol- that coal uh, being touched to his lips is representative of, is it shows us that God is purifying his speech. God is purifying his words. God is preparing him. And, and, and then God asks the question, who will I send? Who am I going to send to tell people about me, to tell people the things that I desire for them? And Isaiah raises his hand and said, here I am, Lord, send me. And then God says, okay, guess what, Isaiah? You're going to go to these people and you're going to say things to them and they're never going to believe the words that you say. They're never going to repent from the things that they have done against me. You're going to keep talking to them and keep talking to them and guess what? They will never listen to you. That's what I'm calling you to do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being called to do this? Can you imagine the pain that that would have been? But this is what God wants to do because God understands something. These people have had every single chance to repent. The thing that that God desires for them has been always so clearly, plainly in front of them, but they won't turn. And so Isaiah, instead of getting them to turn, your words are going to be judgment upon them. That's what he's saying. So apparently, there's something so dark in the hearts of these people that God decided it would be better to hand them over to their darkness than to have them repent and receive his mercy. And we see a similar sort of thing with Jesus, although I think Jesus, Jesus actually changes the language of the passage a little bit, which is super interesting. He says, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the Isaiah passage, it says they can't hear at all. But, but Jesus, it's almost as if there's like this little glimmer of hope, right? That, that it's still there. It's lingering in front of them and they might grasp for it. With their ears, they can barely hear. 
with their eyes. Their eyes, they have actually shut their eyes. Least they should actually see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And if only they would, I would heal them. The implication is, the implication is that there was actually a point where there was hope available. But they have so given themselves over to the desires of their heart, to the things that they want, that they they likely won't even be able to see it if it's plainly in front of them. So Jesus kind of says, for these people, the words that I speak to them, it's an intentional smokescreen. I'm intentionally sort of blocking their vision because here's the reality. Even if it was plain, they wouldn't respond. So I'm going to muddy the water a little bit. I'm going to make things a little bit more confusing for them. And instead of saving them, my words are actually going to be judgment upon them. So I want to pause for just a second because this Jesus is a Jesus that we are not culturally used to. We're used to the Jesus that, that wants to love everybody, that wants to give everybody a chance, right? But there's something interesting about this story here that we see something in Jesus where he actually, in his words, he's executing some form of judgment because he recognizes that these people won't turn. So there's a principle at play here, um, and it, we, have to, we have to note it. There's something about God here, an aspect of his justice, and this is what it is. God regularly, regularly allows people to be given over to things that lead to destruction. It's a reality. God will allow people to give themselves fully over to things that lead to their destruction. So there are people in their hearts who have decided that they want what they want. Uh, and, and they're going to reap the fruit of that decision. The fruit of that decision is destruction. Now, I don't love that reality. In fact, my heart language says that's wrong, that that's immoral. How could God do that? But what I learn when I come to Scripture and when I come to Jesus is that I don't get to stand in judgment of God, but that I get to let him stand in judgment of me and be formed by the words that he gives to me. And we see this happen all the time, don't we? We can probably think of example after example like of people that we have watched walk down paths that, that they knew weren't good for them, that we knew weren't good for them. Many of you have family and friends that you're watching walk down these paths right now, and, and, and it seems like right now the Lord, He's giving them over to their destruction. And that can be a hard thing to watch can be a challenging thing to watch. And this is more than than just a statement of fact. This is a a reality that we, uh, many of us, experience. So within the parables then, part of the reality of the parables is that that Jesus tells us that they're they're intended uh, to let hard-hearted people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness continue being hard-hearted, continue closing their ears, continue shutting their eyes to the realities of the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the very kingdom, by the way, which could provide for those people healing and joy and peace and righteousness and mercy and grace. Okay, so where's the hope? Where's the hope? The hope comes 
in verse 16. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So earlier, Jesus set up for us two categories of people, the people who have, the people who have understanding, and the people who don't have. And and now he's looking at that second group of people, or that first group of people, and he's saying, you, my disciples, you're my people who follow me. You're my people who have given everything. You're the people who approach me with open hands and say, okay, Lord, whatever you say. He says, you see. You see these realities of the kingdom. You hear them. You have the opportunity now to understand. Even as I speak about these realities of the kingdom in parables, you actually discern things of the kingdom from them. Like you actually are benefited by my words. You experience the benefits of the kingdom. You're a part of God's plan of setting the world right so that uh, when, when he sends out the kingdom and he wants to invite people to be reconciled to God, you're the people that he's sending out. You're the ministers of reconciliation. You're the ones who are bringing the kingdom. The amazing hope here is that God can and actually does give people eyes to see and ears to hear. That we would actually have the opportunity to understand the kingdom is an amazing thing. That God would give us the chance to be a part of his world-reconciling force called the church, the kingdom of God, is an amazing thing. So based on this then, uh, I think it's going to be beneficial for us. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of use this going forward as we examine the parables. It's going to be beneficial for us to have a working definition of parables uh, that will actually a, a, uh, help us a little bit as we begin looking at Jesus' teaching because we actually, we, we do want to understand more. We want the Lord to reveal more to us. Okay, so here are parables. Uh, I have two, it, the parables are simultaneously two things at once. So they are stories analogies or illustrations told with the intention of showing people the realities of the kingdom of God. So these, uh, before, before we look at the second definition, these are people who, who come to Jesus, they have a curiosity about them, but they also have a trust. They come to Jesus with open hands. They come to him with ears to hear, with soft hearts, with a willingness to be changed by his word. And they, and they ask questions like, Okay, Jesus, what kind of ruler is God? What, Jesus, what are God's expectations for humanity, even maybe for me? Jesus, what kind of principles govern this kingdom that you've called me to be a part of? Jesus, how does, how does the kingdom actually get set up and expand? Where is the kingdom, Jesus? How, why does the kingdom exist? Who are citizens of the kingdom? How does one become a citizen of the kingdom? How does the kingdom relate to the rest of the world? You see, these people, they, they have open hands. They, they come and they simply approach Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm here to understand. I'm here to see. Or, this is the second definition that could come. So they're either showing people the realities of the kingdom or their stories, analogies, or illustrations told with the intention of confusing people about the reality of God's kingdom. So these people actually, they come to Jesus with a different posture. 
these stories that Jesus tells, these illustrations that he gives, they, uh, these people, when they come to him and they hear these things, these stories, they make them angry with the king that's described in the story. They make them feel disdain for the heroes that are in the story. They, uh, they actually put ridicule in these people's hearts for the storyteller. Uh, they put them in modes of self-justification, of trying to prove themselves, of saying, well, that story doesn't, doesn't apply to me for this reason or this reason. They make them guard their own self-interests even more. They entrench them further in their own perspective. So these are, these are the kind of people who, when they hear the parables, they're going to become more confused about the realities of the kingdom. And with these two simultaneous realities being true, then the main point, the main thing that we need to walk away with this morning as we approach our summer, as we approach this time that we spend in the parables is this. Parables reveal kingdom realities. If you desire to truly understand. Parables reveal kingdom realities if you desire to truly understand. So, um, I think this is amazing because uh, we have faith in this room. We have come to know Jesus. He's come to show us things of the kingdom. And the, the exciting thing is, as we hear these parables, um, they don't so much stand in judgment of us as we get an opportunity to dig into these deep things for Jesus to grant us his understanding of the kingdom. I, there might be a, a question here, which is, why should I be interested in desiring to understand the kingdom? Well, uh, there, was, there, there are God's chosen people, uh, God's people who he had chosen uh, back when he told Abraham, he gave Abraham a promise that he was going be, to become a, a father of many nations. And then throughout that people of Israel, there are devout men and women of God. So verse 17 says this, it says, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see. And they didn't get to see it. They longed to hear what you hear and they didn't get to hear it. So these people, these faithful people who had been sprinkled throughout God's people over, over the time before Jesus came, they were people who talked with God regularly, who actually, God gave them words to speak to his people. People like Moses, people like Elijah, people, people like Isaiah. These are faithful people, and they long to see and be a part of this thing that we today get the opportunity to be a part of. So Jesus is giving his disciples an encouragement. You know, you get to be a part of this thing where Jesus is actually going to all tribes and tongues and nations and telling people who have never known God before how they can become a part of God's kingdom. So this thing that we're a part of, you know, people were waiting for this thing for millennia and we actually get a chance to be a part of it. And not only that, but we get the, the promise of being part of an eternal kingdom. So God initiated his plan of reconciliation of the whole world where he's actually going to make everything new. He initiated that at Jesus' coming. But the thing is, is like we stand in eager expectation of the fact that Jesus is going to return and finally set up God's kingdom. Finally do away with injustice and unrighteousness and finally make all things new and right. Okay, so what? So what? Uh, the first one is this. When we speak of the kingdom we will strive to speak with clarity. 
Okay, so here's the reality. Jesus was the Lord of all creation and the discerner of hearts. And guess what? You are neither of those things. So you don't get to decide, hey, I'm not going to be as clear about things as I want to be, or hey, I'm not even going to speak the gospel to my friends and neighbors uh, because Jesus is going to do what he's going to do anyway. No, what it actually looks like for us to be faithful is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom with clarity to people. So we, we don't get to decide that we're not going to be clear about things. Our task is simply to be faithful in, pro, in our proclamation. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is this. I invite everyone this morning, I invite everyone this morning to evaluate how you approach Jesus. So, uh, so if, if you're a believer this morning, if you're, if you're trusting in the Lord, um, we, we still, like, there are people maybe who don't know the Lord, and I'd encourage those people to believe, right? But, but most of us in this room, we're, we're believing people. And we still have to evaluate how we approach Jesus. So in, in the parables, Jesus is going to speak about things that, that challenge us a little bit. He's going to speak about like, how we use our money. Uh, he's going to challenge our concepts of forgiveness. He's going to challenge us maybe in how we treat other people. Maybe in our willingness, he's going to challenge us in our willingness to share our faith with others. He's going to challenge us in the ways that we prioritize things. So inevitably, there's going to be, be something that Jesus talks about in all of these parables this summer. Like he's going, to, he's going to poke at something that's like going to be your thing, the thing that you don't want him to touch. He's going to poke at something that's going to be my thing, the thing that I want to keep off limits. And the encouragement this morning is that we need to approach Jesus with fully open hands every piece, anything that Jesus wants to speak to. And so as uh, this week, I would even encourage you to pray for the Lord to reveal to you maybe even the places that you want to keep off limits, that you would open up to the Lord, that you would say, Lord, every piece is accessible to you. Every piece, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to speak to, Lord, may it be submitted to you for the sake of your kingdom. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, talking about the kingdom and and, and, uh, even these realities that that were so clear in Jewish people's minds, uh, Lord, there's a lot of context for us to understand about that and even have to dig into. And so, so Lord, I pray uh, in our minds that you would just give us clarity clarity as to to what it means to be a part of your church, what it means to be a part of a people who you call your people. Lord, would you uh, even give us clarity into the the things that you desire to call us away from? Lord, the things that you desire to call us towards? And Father, I pray for each person in this room that you would show us how we could approach you with open hands. Lord, in whatever you teach, not just here in the parables, but but in every single word of scripture where you teach us that we would leave no piece of our lives off limits. Lord, but we would submit it all to you. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say in every single circumstance. So we know that this is something that you can only do through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask 
that, that you would do this work in us. And we submit to that work and uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.